You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to Monday's Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the morning's business headlines as we kick off a new week of trading across Asia. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said on Sunday, Hong Kong has to contain the latest COVID-19 outbreaks as quickly as possible in order to stabilise and support the economy. He said the outbreaks have once again dealt a serious blow to the economy and money from the fifth round of the anti-epidemic fund is on its way to help businesses and workers. Writing on his blog, Mr Chan also said officials are finalising details for the sixth round of a relief fund, which he said will provide no less than 20 billion Hong Kong dollars. The fast-spreading Omicron strain has impacted the local property market, with the total number of transactions dropping to a 17-month low in January. Centerline Property Agency reported 5,894 deals last month, down 16.7% month-on-month. The total transaction value in January dropped over 38% to a 16-month low of 54 billion Hong Kong dollars. Jobs growth in the United States was stronger than expected last month as employers shook off the Omicron surge. Non-farm payrolls rose by 467,000 in January, well ahead of the 150,000 Wall Street analysts estimated. The November and December job gains were revised up by a total of 709,000, the biggest seasonal adjustment on record. Those changes brought the 2021 total of new jobs created to 6.67 million, the biggest single-year gain in US history. The jobless rate inched up from 3.9% in December to 4%, but that was due to more people looking for work. And wages surged 0.7% month on month and 5.7% for the year. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by John Schofield of Tempest Investment and Martin Henniker from St. James's Place Wealth Management. With a view from mainland China, it's Ben Cavender at the China Market Research Group. Money Talk on U.S. share indices posted their biggest weekly gain since December, following five days of whiplash moves, which saw some tech stocks such as Facebook parent Meta, Snap and PayPal slump more than 20% in a single session. Thursday's slide, which was the worst in a year, saw Facebook lose to $230 billion in market cap, the biggest single-day loss for a U.S. company on record. The major indices partially recovered their losses on Friday, the S&P 500 gained half a percent to 4,501, leaving it 1.5% higher over the week. Late afternoon selling pushed the Dow into the red for the day, ending 21 points lower at 35,090, but it was up 1% for the week. The Nasdaq jumped 1.6%, partially reversing Thursday's 3.7% fall, and it ended the week 2.4% higher at 14,098. The rebound was helped by a 13.5% jump for Amazon after it reported profits almost doubled in the final quarter of 2021. The rise added 191 billion US dollars to Amazon's market cap, the largest ever one-day gain in market value for a US company. 
The Pan-European Stock 600 Index was down 0.7% over the week. London's FTSE 100 added 0.7% during the five days. Hong Kong stocks soared on Friday, the first day of trading in the year of the tiger. The Hang Seng Index surged 771 points, or 3.2%, to 24,573. 62 out of the 64 index members made gains. The Hang Seng Tech Index jumped 3.1%. Markets in Shanghai and Shenzhen remain closed and we will reopen today. Automakers led the gains after several car makers released delivery data for January. BYD sold 93,168 NEVs. That's up 362% year on year. XPEN delivered almost 13,000 cars, up 115% year on year. Shares of BYD rose over 7%, while XPEN popped more than 11% higher. Banks were also well bid, boosted by the prospect of interest rate rises in the US. HSBC rose 5% to a two-year high. Standard Chartered added 4.8%, leaving it close to a two-year high. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil rallied 3% over the week and is at a more than seven-year high of $92.74 a barrel this morning. Copper climbed over 4% on the week. Gold is up about 1% on the week at $1,809 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield jumped eight basis points Friday to 1.92%, its highest level in over two years. And the 30-year real rate rose above zero for the first time since June 2020. It was the worst week for the US dollar since November 2020, with the US dollar index dropping 1.8% and erasing all of last week's gains, uh, the previous week's gains and more. The euro is at $1.14.5. The Japanese yen is at 115.3 versus the dollar. Sterling is worth $1.35 and a third cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 54 cents. The Chinese yuan is trading at 6.36 and a half in offshore markets and Bitcoin surged over 12% Friday to back above $40,000. It's trading at $42,200 this morning. Around Asian stock markets, uh, which have just opened for a new week of trading in Australia, the SX200 is off 0.8%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has opened about 0.9% lower. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 50 points or so at the open this morning. It's 8.10. Let's go and welcome our Monday morning guests. Over in our Queensway studio, we have John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment. Morning, John. Good morning, Peter. And for the first time on Money Talk, we welcome Martin Henniker, Head of Asia Investment Advisory and Communications at St. James's Place Wealth Management. Welcome, Martin. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So let's talk about the jobs figures, first of all, in the US. As we heard there... Uh, Non-farm payrolls rose by 467,000 in January, well ahead of estimates. And the November and December job gains were revised up by a total of 709,000. That's the biggest adjustment on record. Total number of new jobs created last year, about 6.67 million, the biggest single uh, year's gain in U.S. history. It does seem, doesn't it, that um, the economy over in the U.S. is is really shaking off uh, the impact of uh, of the Omicron. Variants. It seems to be having a smaller and smaller impact on activity and labour demand. What, what are your thoughts? 
yes, indeed. I think the um, um, well, the, all the west, the Western countries that have, have opened up, um, although there's still very high levels of uh, of infection, um, as we see more and more that the, the number of people actually get seriously ill is quite small, and um, there seems to be a, gr- a greater propensity um, in the population of the U.S. to to accept the risk, as it were. So, um, so yes, the things are things are going along quite nicely. Um, this, of course, the strong jobs numbers will will um, uh, mean that the Fed, the Fed, you know, the Fed's uh, path to uh, tighter tighter monetary policy. Uh, in the coming months, um, you know, will 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 continue, I'm sure, and um, so it'd be interesting to see how the stock market, uh, on the other hand, uh, I get this get the sense is, um, you know, close to peak of this this cycle, uh, if not past it. In the case of uh, case of the the um, how much downside I, is there? Um, well, as I think I, I mentioned the other the, the other week, it's more of a, a process of. Um, of getting back to um, a sensible level of valuation, and um, of course we we get a lot of uh, noise, if you like, around the individual earnings uh, uh, announcements. Uh, so we saw, you know, quite contradict- enormous volatility last week around um, those names that um, uh, surprised the market, and those names that uh, slightly disappointed or gay or hinted that you know things are going to go uh, are not going to grow. Certainly, certainly for the likes of Facebook, mm-hmm. um, as I say, they seem to be past their peaks. Growth is going to be much, uh, much slower uh, for those um, for those very large, you know, the titans, um, and the market will have to decide how to how to value them in that uh, in that kind of environment, with also the fact that um, you know monetary policy is getting tighter, so there will be less liquidity around to. Forcing these these names higher, Martin. What what are your thoughts? It, it does seem, doesn't it, that uh, the jobs market is is even better than maybe we thought at the end of last year. Well, um, actually, if you dig a little bit deeper into those jobs numbers, uh, you'll find that um, it's it's not very very clear and quite controversial. Um, because there was this massive seasonal adjustment mm. that we have seen. That was yeah. the biggest that's ever been done. It was a 10-year seasonal adjustment, a very special one, actually. If you take the unadjusted numbers, we actually got a negative uh, jobs number. Um, So I personally wouldn't actually read anything into this particular reporting of the jobs numbers. And if you look at other economic figures out recently in the U.S., um, like the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, the quarter one um, GDP projection, came in at 0.1%, um, and that was recently reconfirmed as well. And you have got quite a number of other relative weak uh, economic numbers in as well. So I will wait for February to see if there's a reversal of some of these seasonal adjustments, how that looks like, and uh, I'm not clear at all at this point. It's a very positive picture there. You do tend to see these being reversed later, don't you? So maybe we might get a negative jobs number in February. Yes, uh, uh, that, that's absolutely um, possible. Um, I mean, 
there's there's so many adjustments actually that went into this particular figure. In fact, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics not just revised what you just mentioned earlier, December, November, even a lot of other prior months prior to that, um, and and so. Um, so again, I wouldn't too much, read too much into it on either side. Um, that said, you know, does it mean that interest rates are going to rise or not, and how much? There's speculation about a half a percent um, point increase uh, in March. I'm not quite sure that this will happen. I, I doubt it. Um, from an investor's perspective, I think it's always good to be on the cautious side, not to leverage, um, not to speculate in the short term, be, be invested, diversified, medium to long term, and so that one could sit out potential corrections. But very importantly, and I think that's, that's my main point maybe here today for investors, is that with um, some doubt there on, on the overall pace on rate increases. This very high de- and deficit numbers in the US and still question marks on the economy. I'm not sure if central banks in the West really have the ammunition and power to follow through and rate increases needed to tame this inflation. We have um, 7.3, well, 7% CPI in the U.S., as you will know. The next one out this week is expected at 7.3. Eurozone, we have record high inflation reported. In fact, one particular figure worth highlighting, I think, is German producer price index in December is up 24.2. That's an absolutely staggering figure. So mm-hmm. I think inflation, ultimately, medium to long term, is still one of the major, major worries there from my end. And I don't think all of these figures were COVID-related. In fact, China exporting inflation or rather than deflation, uh, Chinese population uh, peaking, um, and, and the high de- and deficits are all contributing to it, and they, don't, they are not related to COVID. So how do global markets, John and Martin, uh, react going forward? Because we're seeing central banks getting more and more hawkish, aren't we? The Fed has been for a while, but even last week we saw the ECB now for the first time, Christine Lagarde maybe admitting that rates may have to rise this year when she's been adamant up to now that there won't be a rate rise uh, this year. Are are markets ready for this? Um, Well, I certainly am. I I think there's an awful lot of noise um, uh, around um, uh, and, and a lot of speculation, as Martin was saying about the pace. I say, for my money, the best policy would be for the central banks, you know, to set the clear path and basically stick to it. Don't don't overreact one way or the other to um, to a, a single data item. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said several times, that you know the path the path is clear. Um, the pace and whether whether they'll accelerate or decelerate from time to time um, it may be the case but I, I, I don't think um, um, the ECB but I, I think they're, they're obviously well behind the curve um, have been for some, some time so I expect them to uh, have to catch up particularly under pressure from, from uh, Germany and the like who have a you know, visceral fear of, of inflation mm-hmm. uh, for well known historical reasons um, and finally, I think the Bank of England deserves some, uh, you know, to be congratulated really for, for sticking to the path, not not going too far uh, in either direction, but mm. not being put off by from doing the the right thing, because um, clearly this this inflation is is here, um, and it may prove possible to s- squeeze out the inflation uh, more quickly because it seems to be more demand driven than anything else. Um, 
and uh, you know, particularly the, the energy crisis, if that can be uh, that can be conquered. Mm, okay, M- Martin. What about mm. uh, Chinese stocks? Uh, they start trading today for the first time in the year of the tiger. We saw a big rally in Hong Kong stocks on Friday. But we seem to have competing pressures, don't we, on the, the negative side on the mainland. We have a weakening economy and the woes of the, the property sector. But at the same time, we've got monetary easing going on. Uh, stocks in a bear market, um, the CSI 300 certainly in a bear market. What's your sort of thoughts for where we go this year on the mainland? Uh, well, let me give a brief comment on stocks generally as an asset class. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not really convinced, even in the Western countries, that we see this really tough language being, you know, really followed through. I think they're forced to, um, you know, give a tough uh, face because they have so much pressure in light of the inflation numbers. But then when push comes to shove, um, they may um, just give in to market pressures again. In fact, there was a report out in October. Uh, about the ECB um, said to study a new bond buying program if there was any pressure on rate increases in highly indebted countries such as Italy. So I'm uh, actually I see the possibility that medium term we might even see all central banks uh, still being quite easy. But back to China and your specific question on Chinese markets. Um, I actually think that when you look at you know the official easing pass there, when you um, look at valuations um, and uh, while the economic numbers have been weakening, justifying the easing, you know, some other financial figures are quite strong, like the trade picture has been very strong, uh, etc., etc. Um, so I'm uh, relatively um, positive, actually, on opportunities there. I mean, and that very much includes Hong Kong, where a lot of companies obviously are Chinese. Uh, when you look specifically at the um, pricing differential between the A shares and the A shares in the uh, mainland, and we are still seeing the A shares trading at a substantial um, uh, discount. And then globally, um, when you look at pricing, valuation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I think it's definitely time not to be discarding China just and Hong Kong just because it hasn't performed well, just because there's Omicron, etc. Uh, and last point. Um, one good thing about equities as an asset class as well is that typically over time, as inflationary pressures rise, if you invest in quality companies, they actually can manage to pass on rising input costs to consumers. So holding some in a diversified portfolio can help to some extent to protect from inflationary pressures. That's the same in the U.S., by the way, where there were statistics out by Federal Reserve Bank of um, then Richmond and Atlanta, whereby 80% of companies experiencing price pressures are passing on at least some of those costs to consumers. Let me ask you finally about Hong Kong. Uh, Paul Chan said on Sunday we need to stabilise, uh, we need to contain the latest COVID-19 outbreaks as quickly as possible to stabilise and support uh, the economy. He said it's dealt a serious blow to the economy. Let me ask you a couple of things. First of all, what, what, what do you anticipate the impact is going to be on the economy? But why this big difference now between Hong Kong um, and Europe and the US, which seem to have now, I mean, we, we, had, I mean, we had COVID out here maybe earlier than they did in the US, but they seem to have got to grips with it, as we heard from the jobs reports. You know, jobs are growing. Um, why are we suffering so badly on our economy here? Uh, well, I mean, if you if you if you uh, insist on closing closing the borders, uh, c- 
cutting Hong Kong off from the from the rest of the world. You know, we can't even fly directly to the U.S. from from Hong Kong or directly back from uh, the U.S. Uh, to Hong Kong, and, and the same with the U.K. Um, it's hardly surprising, is it? Um, you know, this debate about uh, about learning to live with COVID. I mean, it just has to has to happen. I mean. I get a little hint here and there that some some uh, some people, uh, particularly in the business community, are, are starting to want want to want to know more about what the exit strategy is going to be. Um, because I think I think it's um, I think it's unrealistic to think that you know you can just eliminate this uh, Omicron uh, virus in, in particular uh, completely. Um, mm-hmm. So um, you know. What would I do? Um, I, w- I would be pushing very hard to get get all the elderly vaccinated, and then slowly but surely, you know, begin to by all means, you know, keep trying to try and keep it from get, getting completely out of control. But, the US um, has a lower vaccination mm-hmm. rates than uh, we do here in Hong Kong, but yet they yeah, seem to be dealing but, with it. But, but they, you know, that's, uh, that's a cultural thing. Obviously, there are enormous cultural differences here. Mm-hmm. Martin, your thoughts finally. Well. In terms of the economy, I don't think that um, chi- the China's economy, if you're talking about wider China, which is obviously a much bigger question than, than Hong Kong, uh, I don't think that China is weaker than, than the West. As I, be- as I mentioned, I don't believe that jobs report and everything else points in a very similar uh, direction. Um, but uh, in terms of, again, just strictly from an investor's perspective, what does it mean for Hong Kong and Chinese uh, markets? I think... Um, Actually, at this time, a lot of investors globally, just because of the negative headlines of the mm-hmm. virus situation in Hong Kong and China, they overlook this market. Um, but when you look at price book ratios, um, valuations, as I mentioned earlier, what really the businesses of these companies are and how strong many of those are holding up. Uh, again, I think like th- there was a record trade surplus ever last year in China. December was the best ever export month um, of China. I think a lot of those factors haven't really mm-hmm been reaching the media quite as much as they probably um, should have given all those bad news. So I think from an investor's perspective, it actually gives rise to really good investment opportunities amidst all this pessimism. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for that. That's Martin Henniker, Head of Asia Investment Advisory and Communications at St. James's Place Wealth Management. John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.25. Let's go up to Shanghai and talk with Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Morning, Ben, and happy year of the tiger. Good morning. Happy year of the tiger. Thank you. So it's the first day of trading for mainland stocks in the year um, of the tiger. Before the holidays, the CSI 300 fell into a bear market. What's your outlook? I think we're probably going to start seeing things moving in the right direction now going forward. I think a lot of investors have sort of, you know, they've, they've taken stock. They've, they've gotten some of the pessimism out of their system. Um, I, I think the big question here, at least for, you know, domestic investors looking at the market is, you know, how is the, the COVID situation going to impact business movement within the country? Um, there have been a number of, of outbreaks in, in various cities in China over the last week or so, which is sort of, slowing things down a little bit, but assuming we come out of the next week or two with less of that happening, I think we're going to start seeing investors 
piling back into the market. And, and what do you think is is the economic impact on the mainland of this zero COVID uh, sort of strategy? It's almost really a one size uh, fits all, isn't it? Is it going to have an impact yeah. on, on consumption? You know, it's been tough. If you look at what happened over the, the Chinese New Year holiday, you actually had a lot of SOEs here uh, essentially paying bonuses to their workers to get them to not travel and mm. to stay home. And so that's that's been a real drag on the economy because a lot of people have not been going back to their hometowns and spending money. They haven't been taking you know vacations away from their home city. Uh, so so that's definitely had an impact, and it's had a big impact on small business. Um, so I think that's where the challenge is. Um, the hope is maybe that we get to a point where they make domestic travel a bit easier, but I, I'm not confident that that's going to happen in the next month or so. But after that, maybe we see some changes. And is it then the medium-sized enterprises, the smaller businesses that have been the hardest hit and the larger state-owned enterprises, they're holding up pretty well? Is that how it's panning out? You know, I think the larger state-owned enterprises, they tend to have longer contracts in place. They tend to have easier access to credit. So they really haven't been um, sort of punished in the same way. I think the the smaller businesses really rely on um, you know, certain periods of the year having stronger business, especially around you know major holidays when somebody can travel. Um, and they've also had big issues with, with getting the, the capital they need to be able to sort of withstand the slowdown or to actually invest and grow their business. And so, yes, absolutely, the smaller businesses have been impacted more by this. That's why I think you see the, the PBOC here talking about making access to credit easier and especially making it easier for those smaller companies. As we know, the Chinese government wants to deleverage, wants to rebalance its economy. Are these stringent lockdowns setting back that effort? Because it's very noticeable, for example, that manufacturing is the sector that seems to be doing the best of all at the moment. It's almost going back to the old style economy, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, for years we talk about shifting towards a more service-based economy and a, and a consumer-driven economy, and now all of a sudden you have these great export numbers, but everything else is, is kind of slow. Um, I think overall we're still going in the right direction, and I think the government has actually sort of held firm a little bit on, you know, pumping too much into the economy to kind of speed things up. I, you know, if you look at the fourth quarter numbers being fairly slow, in large part, that's because they, they didn't really step back from some of their deleveraging plans. I think going forward through, you know, the rest of this quarter and next quarter, we're probably going to see some more um, aggressive easing in terms of monetary policy, and, and that's going to slow the efforts down. But I think, you know, if you look at the year as a whole, they're still going to be really careful about you know, the debt load here and, and how they manage that. Do you have any sense of how long the country is going to uh, continue with these lockdowns? I mean, I've seen some reports that suggest these measures aren't going to be relaxed before the 20th Party Congress, which doesn't take place until the autumn. Yeah, this is the, the, the billion-dollar question. Um, I'd say, you know, so far they've been fairly successful with keeping these lockdowns in place, and I think that the... The unfortunate side effect of that is that it really doesn't give them a reason to change policy in the near term. And I could very well see it going actually until that Congress concludes because, um, you know, the way the way things are going right now, uh, it, it really helps from a political standpoint to be able to point to them having had such a strong uh, COVID response in place. Um, the hope from some people is that maybe in the late summer there will be some easing and, and some as yet you know, unspecified ways, but I wouldn't necessarily hold my breath. 
So if these measures do continue until the autumn on the mainland, that's not good for Hong Kong either, is it? And its efforts to reopen the borders. I, I, yeah, I think from the you know from the mainland perspective, it actually maybe will help Chinese domestic brands that have you know more you know homegrown management structures in place who can respond more to to market demands in terms of product development and things like that. But if you're Hong Kong and you're sort of a financial services uh, center of the world, it's really difficult. I, I can't tell you how many discussions I've had with executives there who are you know giving up and going home because they haven't been able to come in and out of the country freely or saying that you know business is going to be shifted over to Singapore. So um, I think I think it's a huge issue for Hong Kong. And we don't have the large domestic economy that China has to to make up for all of this. No, I think you know I think Hong Kong has really survived based on being that that cross-border hub for businesses and that that sort of that trading center and that financial center. And I, I feel like this is just another nail in the coffin, frankly, for the city. Um, I, maybe the hope is that in some selective way, the policy for Hong Kong will change. But based on you know all the rhetoric I've, I've seen in the news and what I've heard from people, it doesn't seem like that's happening anytime soon. Ben, thanks very much. Always a pleasure. That's Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let me give you an update on the markets this morning. Uh, they're in the red. The ASX 200 in Australia down three quarters of a percent. The Nikkei 225 is now off over one percent. Cosby in South Korea down about three quarters of a percent. The Hang Seng set to open about 50 points lower uh, at the moment. Uh, coming up after the news, we have a new program on Radio 3, COVID Updates. That's from 8.30 until 9 with the latest news and, uh, and updates on the pandemic. Back chat will be here after the nine o'clock news as normal. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast as well. Mainly cloudy, a few rain and mist patches. Temperatures are going to linger around 17 degrees during the day. Mainly cloudy in the next few days. Rather cool tomorrow. And the temperature right now is 15 degrees. There is a strong monsoon signal in force and it's 89% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Medical sector lawmaker David Lamb has backed calls to extend class suspensions beyond February the 21st until the current wave of COVID infections is under control. He says the current outbreak could take up to three months to subside. Dr. Lamb urged the public to observe hygiene and social distancing measures and get vaccinated. And he stressed the need for people to stay at home, urging the government to prolong the class suspensions. There are studies internationally that Omicron spreads among children who are not vaccinated in particular. Therefore, it is um, wiser to close schools, please close the physical, <clears throat> the physical on-site education so that we limit the number of spread among school children, especially to elderly and immunocompromised people at home. The government has played down concerns about food supplies after a number of cross-boundary drivers were forced to quarantine on the mainland. Violet Wong reports. The Container Transportation Employees General Union said some trucks had been unable to make their way back from the mainland, affecting the supply of vegetables and meat to Hong Kong. A government spokesperson confirmed that some truckers had been quarantined on the other side of the border after mainland authorities discovered that one driver hadn't fully reported the places he'd visited. However, the spokesperson said all drivers, except those considered to be close contacts, had since been allowed to return to the SAL. The spokesperson said mainland authorities had adopted flexible arrangements to ensure a stable food supply to Hong Kong. 
Lockdowns are continuing this morning in Sha Tin and Tunmun after sewage samples tested positive for COVID. Residents of Mei Sao, Mei King and Mei Chi houses at Sha Tin's Mei Tin Estate, as well as those living in Leung Kit House and Leung Wai House at Leung King Estate in Tunmun, were told to stay in their flats overnight and get tested. Officials aim to complete work at Sha Tin around 10 this morning and at Leung King Estate at noon. In sports, Senegal's footballers have won the African Cup of Nations for the first time. The West African side beat seven-time champion Egypt 4-2 on penalties after neither team scored during the final in the Cameroonian capital, Yaoundé. The winning penalty was confidently put home by Senegal star player, the Liverpool winger, Sadio Mane. The BBC's Guy Mowbray was watching. The biggest kick of Sadio Mane's life. 